0: well good morning and happy new year to you my name is absolutely let's welcome everybody here my name is Mike Burnage, and uh, I, if, if you don't know, I'm the new kid on the block, which means that I'm the newest member of the Scottsdale Bible Church staff at beginning on January 1st, and I'm so glad all of you could be here. I want to say a big welcome to all of you that are here in the auditorium, those of you who are watching over at the Cactus Campus and at the venue and at the Grace Chapel, and those of you watching online, we want you to know how delighted we are to have you here as we begin this new journey with Jesus called 2009, and this is the first of 52 Sundays we're going to spend together this year, and we're looking forward to seeing what God's going to teach us, what he's going to do to us and through us in the coming days ahead. Uh, You know, this is a really big day for me. Uh, It's really, really big. Uh, It was 23 years ago this week that I moved my family from Dallas, Texas here to Phoenix, Arizona. And I came here to become the pastor of a little church meeting in in Paradise Valley High School that Scottsdale Bible Church had planned. It was called Northridge Community Church. And today marks a day that I step out of that role and I step into this role. I step out of that culture and I step into this culture. And whenever you step into a new culture after 23 years, there's some enlightening things that you have to pick up on in a hurry. In fact, when I think of that, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a comedian I heard many years ago by the name of Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, Yakov Smirnoff, in, in the year uh, 1977, he and his family immigrated to the United States from the Soviet Union. And when they came here, he said, man, it was a culture shock. In fact, he said, you know, one of the most shocking things was to go into an American grocery store. I I had been into Soviet grocery stores, and there was just a few items on the shelves, but the American grocery stores, it was overwhelming with how many things, how many products were there. He said, I remember walking down the first aisle, the grocery store, and I I looked at a product, and it said this, it said powdered milk. Just add powder, you get milk. He said, wow. I walked down the second aisle, and, and I picked up a product, and it said powdered eggs. Just add water, you get eggs. And he said, and then I walked down the third aisle of the grocery store, and I picked up a product, and I read it, and it said this, baby powder. (laughs) And and he said, wow, America really is a great country. (laughs) Well, guys, the truth of the matter is, America really is a great country. But the other part of the truth is this, is that some things don't just happen by adding water. Some things like baby take a lot of labor, they take a ton of time. And today we're gonna talk about a topic that doesn't just happen. Today we're gonna talk about the topic of hope. Hope doesn't just happen. Hope comes through a ton of time, a lot of labor, and most important of all, through us working in tandem, us working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And so today we're gonna talk about this. Now, the first thing I want you to know about hope is this, is that hope is a really, really big deal. It's a big deal to us here at Scottsdale Bible Church. It was a big deal to us at Northridge Community Church. When I moved here 23 years ago, I asked what's the phone number of Northridge Community Church, and this is for real. Our phone number for the last 25 years has been 515-HOPE. How's that for a sign, right? It's all about hope. In fact, our our vision statement for the last 10 to 15 years has been Northridge Community Church, Scottsdale Bible Church exists to extend hope to all through Christ alone. Jamie's going to start a new series next week called Fall, and he's going to look at four things that happened when man fell. And one of the things he's going to do is he's going to close up in week four by talking about one of the things that happened was man lost hope. And so today we're going to not talk about how to lose hope, we're going to talk about how to find hope, how to foster hope. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to uh, encourage you in just a minute to turn to Mark chapter 2, the second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to look at that. But while you're turning to that, let me just share with you uh, three reasons why hope is such a big deal. Back in 2014, uh, there was a a researcher with the Gallup Corporation, he had earlier been a, a psychologist and a professor at University of Kansas, and his name was Shane Lopez, and he wrote a fascinating book called Making Hope Happen. And what he did is he said this hope thing is, is really a big deal for a couple of reasons. And I have them over here. First he said is this, is hope is a big deal emotionally. One of the things he did is he and his colleagues went out and they studied 10,000 people. And they found this. They found that, that in people where hope was high, happiness was high. And in people where hope was low, happiness was low. And so what he came to the conclusion on is, listen, is happiness and hope are go hand in hand. And conversely, he also found that unhappiness and the lack of hope go hand in hand as well. In fact, the Bible talks a little bit about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, where Paul's talking about the resurrection. He says, if you don't buy this resurrection stuff, if you only have hope in this life, you, of all men, are most miserable. In other words, you're not going to be happy if you don't have this hope thing. But you know what he found? He found hope is a big deal, not just emotionally, but hope is a big deal physically. It's a big deal to your health. One of the things he did is he reported a study that was done at the University of Texas Southwest Medical School in San Antonio, A researcher there by the name of Stephen Stern went out and over the course of about four years from 92 through 96, he gave a test to 800 elderly patients, ages 64, I'm 64, I don't consider that elderly by the way, but but 64 through 79, 800 patients he gave a survey to and they were ranked on are they high hope people, medium hope people, or low hope people. Here's what he did. He came back four to five years later and he wanted to find out how are these people doing? Is there a relationship between our hope and our health? And he found this. He found people that had earlier scored high on hope, 11% of those people had passed away five years later. He found out that people who had earlier scored low on hope, 29% of those people had passed away five years later. And his conclusion was this, is that the prospects for mortality were three times higher among the elderly population he tested if people were low on hope than if you were high on hope. And so the good news for you here this morning is if you thought, man, I got to go out and join a gym and I got to start eating salad, is, guys, that's good. But the big thing is you got to have hope. Why? Because hope is good for us, not just emotionally, it's good for us physically. But here's the big thing. He and we have found this, that hope is a really, really big deal spiritually, One of the things you see at the heart of the gospel is all about hope. Did you hear the song we say, I'm no longer a slave to to fear? I don't have to be a slave to that anymore. Why? Because this thing called hope that Jesus Christ has given us. In fact, one of the things God tells us is that when he created man, he created us to be not just hope feelers, but to be hope dealers. And we're going to talk about that today. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul writes this, may the God of hope. Did you see how God described himself? He didn't say may the God of fun. May the God of pleasure, may the God of of friendship, those are all good things, but he said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you wanna know what's your job description for 2019, what's your role, what's your purpose, comes up to one word. Your purpose is to not just feel hope, but your purpose is to deal hope, is to overflow with hope because that's what the God of hope has for you and I to do in the coming year. So how do we do it? How do we do this hope thing? Well, in in, uh, Mark chapter 2, we see a great story of a guy who had a little bit of hope. But what happened is that little bit of hope ended up growing into a whole lot of hope. And as we we get ready to look at that, in in just a second, uh, we're going to go through, it's a little lengthy passage, so we're going to not read all the passage up front, we're going to go through and read it a little bit at a time, but inside your worship folder today, there's an outline in there, and I I sent this in, I was working on this Monday and Tuesday last week when I was up in Chicago visiting my mom, and if you look at that worship folder, there's five points, I'd love you to fill in the blanks, but if you notice, it has a little bit of an acronym, an acrostic on it, uh, which I like to do, and the acrostic is the word BEARS. Okay, the bears. So that's how you're going to be remembered. the sermon this morning. Uh, I think it was divine inspiration. Neil, Neil assured me that that was divine inspiration, uh, the bears. And so, uh, but anyway, five things that this little acrostic from uh, Mark chapter two is going to teach us about how do we become hope dealers and not just hope feelers. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Number one is this, hope dealers, first of all, bring real remedies to broken people. If you're gonna be a hope dealer, then it's gonna be about you bringing real remedies to people who are broken. Now, for uh, about 20 years, I was a marriage and family therapist and a licensed professional counselor uh, in in Texas before I moved here. And and, uh, uh, as a marriage and family therapist and a a professional counselor, one of the things I learned is that, you know, there's four things you need to know about problems. Because when people come to a counselor, they're coming to bring their problems to them. And so here are the four things that I found about problems. Number one is this. All of us have them. All of us have problems. Now that may sound obvious to you, but you know you'll be amazed at how many people devote their lives to trying to convince everybody else that they don't have a problem. In fact, even King David dealt with that. Some of the Psalms he looks around and he says, You know what, Lord, I don't understand. Those bad guys, they have no problems. I'm a good guy. I got all these problems. Well, David wasn't correct, is bad guys have problems, good guys have problems, all God's children got problems, right, and so, so problems are universal. In fact, Jesus said it this way, he said, in this world you will, not you might, you will have tribulation, so all of us have problems. Second thing is this, not all problems are alike. Not all problems are alike is your problems are different than the person's problems that are sitting right next to you. And the problems you have this year are gonna be different than the problems you had last year or the problems you have next year. And so not all problems are alike. Third observation about problems is this. Some problems are small and some are temporary. Some problems are tiny problems and temporary problems. And you know, maybe you came here this morning uh, and and, and you got here and you said, oh, you know what, Let's, let's go sit in our normal seats. And you came and someone was sitting there. And you look at your wife and you say, um, honey, they're, they're in our seats. And, and your wife says, it's okay, there's two seats over here. And he goes, no, no, they're in our seats like that. You know, and they kind of worry about that. And your wife probably patted you on the shoulder and says, hey, it's okay. We'll come back next week early and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get our seats back next week. Why? It's a tiny problem. It's a temporary problem. One of the, uh, my friends who's here in this service today is part of the Scottsdale Bible Church family and was my administrative assistant for many years. But she used to refer to these as first world problems. You know, uh, oh, oh no, I can't get, get my car until Thursday. What am I gonna do? First world problem. They don't worry about that in the second world or the third world, do they? But here's the last thing I want you to understand. This last one's really important. When it comes to problems, other problems aren't tiny and temporary. Other problems are long and lingering. And guys, when you have a long and lingering problem that won't go away, it can't be fixed. You know what starts to happen? Is something, and these problems come in, and they start to become the hope stealers that starts to lead us into Despair. But when we come to our passage, Mark chapter 2, 1 through 3, we meet a man who has some large and lingering problems. This just didn't pop up. It wasn't tiny and temporary. This was a really big deal. Let me read this passage here. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 3. It says this, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. That's talking about Jesus. And then it says this, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room. Remember that not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. If you were to walk up to this guy and say, hey, buddy, what's your problem? He'd say, I don't have a problem. I have problems, plural. He said, first of all, I have a paralytic problem. He had a paralytic problem. Now, if if a person has a paralytic problem, it means that they can't move. They're incapacitated. They're not ambulatory is they can't go everywhere someone else goes, and they can't lead a normal life, they can't live a normal life frequently without the help and assistance of other people. And so here this guy is, he's got a physical problem, he has the, a paralytic problem. Secondly, he has a people problem. He doesn't just have a problem with, with physically, but he has a problem socially, because when he tries to get to the real remedy, which is Jesus, that one person who maybe can do something about his physical problem, he can't get there. And the reason he can't get there is the crowds We're crazy. He's got a third problem, but you know what the third problem he doesn't even know he has. All he knows is he has a physical problem, but the third problem is this, he has a spiritual problem. In fact, Jesus is going to talk about that in verse five, but but one of the things Jesus wants him to know is, listen, even if you get well physically, if you're not well spiritually, it's not going to do you much good in the long run. And He says, what well, your physical problem is, is that you, like every other human on the face of the planet, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guys, one of the things i got to tell you something about this room is we got a great group of people in here. Some look really, really great. Some look a little shabby. That's the Northridge group, right? We're a little shabby on there, the, the Cave Creek crew out there. But you know what? Is, is we got a great group of people, but we all have in common is all of us are spiritually sick, and we need the, the, the healing. We need the hope. Of Jesus. But you know, this guy has a fourth problem that I don't have listed up here. And the name of his fourth problem is that he has a capability problem. He is incapable of fixing his paralysis problem, his people problem, or his spiritual problem. He is going to need someone else to do that for him. And so what we see in our passage, these first three verses, is that he can't get to the real remedy, which is Jesus. And so he has four friends they are going to come, and they're going to carry him to Jesus, who is the real remedy. In fact, we see this commonly, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, it says this. It says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted, and various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Friends, you might be here this morning and say, well, man, what can I do? I can't uh, help someone. I can't heal someone. You know what you can do? You can bring someone to the person who can. What that means is our job as hope dealers isn't that we are in the restoration business. We're in the transportation business. And it's our job to do what we can to bring people closer to a right and growing and healthy and loving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's two questions I have for each one of us today. Question number one is this. New Year's resolution who are the broken brothers that I want to help bring closer to Jesus in 2019? One of the things I heard about Scottsdale Bible Church several years ago is that, that our Scottsdale Bible Church friends were doing something amazing, is that Pastor Jamie had challenged everybody to think of someone that you would love to see come into a right relationship with God through his son Jesus, write it down, and stick it in this wall right over here. And I understand that in some of our various campuses that are watching, there's a place that you can put your prayer request there. And one of the things I would challenge you to do at the beginning of 2019 is to think of one person that you say, God, with your help, I'd like to be one of those cot carriers that helps bring that person a little closer to a right relationship with Jesus. So identify that person and, and put it in the wall next week. But the second question I have is this, who are or who will the people be who will carry your cot you know a lot of times we don't think about that but the reality is 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 you and I are wired up that God says listen I want you to have people in your life close relationships who are going to help carry you closer to the one who is the real remedy for every one of your problems And so who do you have? Are you in a small group? If not, I want to encourage you. This isn't a guilt type of thing. This is is something because I love you. If you're not in a small group, I can't think of a better way for you to go ahead and become a a person who becomes a a hope dealer than for you to join one. So I want to encourage you to, to look into that if you haven't already done that. And so first thing we see is this. God says, I don't want you to be just a hope dealer. I want you to be a hope dealer. And to do that, first thing you gotta do is you've got to bring real remedies to broken people. But here's the second thing I want you to write down. Number two is this. You must employ both conventional and unconventional methods. You know, when something is conventional, when you have a conventional solution, it means it is the most common, normal, or natural way to respond. You know, when I think about conventional solutions, Uh, I think of three examples over here. One example is this, is uh, you you pick up your cell phone on Sunday morning and you say, oh, I think I'm gonna call my sister. And and you pick it up and it's not working. What is the conventional solution to a cell phone that's not working? You know what it is? It's to plug it into the wall. It's probably run out of battery. It's conventional. It's something that's common, something that's natural, something that's normal. How about you go to the restaurant after church today and your four-year-old kid misbehaves? And, and, And you say, you know, what can I do? I need to send this kid to reform school? No, he's four years old. And so what the natural, normal, conventional response is to say, hey, knock it off, right? If that doesn't work, uh, you take, withhold a, a privilege. If that doesn't work, you drop them off at grandma's house, right? Those are kind of the natural, <laughs> normal things that if your kid misbehaves. How about your head hurts? Oh, I woke up with a headache. What is the conventional response? I'm going to pop a pill. I'm going to take an aspirin. I'm going to take an Advil. So guys, what we do is is normally we go ahead and we resort to these uh, these conventional means. Well, when a conventional solution doesn't fix a problem, however, we're faced with one of four choices. Choice number one, which is very popular, is this. We can try the same conventional solution again. You ever done that? This past Thursday, I was in my office uh, up here at Scottsdale, and I was unpacking the last of my books and putting them up in the shelves, and I thought, I think I'm going to get my computer fired up. And so I opened up the, the, the new computer, and it said, Password. And I typed the password in and it says, your password is incorrect. And so, you know what I did is I I typed in the same password and I got the same response. Your password is incorrect. I did it a third time. Same response. Fourth time. I was not convincing my computer that that was the password that was wanted, right? And so what I was doing is I wasn't getting what I wanted because I was doing the same conventional solution again and again. And there's a word for that. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is called insanity. Here's a second thing, though. Try a different conventional solution. Have you ever done that? Psychologists call this first-order change. That's that if I have a headache and I take a Tylenol uh, and that doesn't work, uh, four hours later, I take an Advil. Still popping a pill, but it's a different conventional solution. Third option, this is a big one. We've all done this before. We've tried everything we know what to do when it comes to conventional solutions, and so we give up. And that is basically the best definition of what despair, the absence of hope is. It's, you know what, I don't have any hope, I'm just gonna have to learn to live with this. But you know what, there's a fourth possibility, and that's what we're talking about today. The fourth possibility is this, is you can try an unconventional solution you can try an unconventional solution. One of the things we see about Jesus is he was okay with conventional solutions. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14, there's 5,000 hungry people, and the disciples said, Oh, Jesus, we got a problem. There's 5,000 hungry people. You should send them home. That was their solution. You know what Jesus says? He says, You feed them. That's conventional. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not only into conventional solutions, I'm also, if you really want to expand hope, you have to be into unconventional solutions as well. So he takes the five loaves, the two fishes, and he does something completely out of the, out of the box, does something completely creative. Well, friends, not only is Jesus unconventional when it comes to solutions, but these four men were unconventional when it came to solutions as well. They did something that was way out of the box. Let's look at at chapter two, verse four. Here's what it says. It says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, get this, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. It's Sunday morning, we're at Scottsdale Bible Church, the place is packed, you can't get in the back door, and so these four guys come in, carrying the man who is paralyzed, they can't come in, conventional's not working, they try another conventional, they come in the side door, that's not working, and so one of the guys comes up with the idea, let's go on top of the roof, let's saw a hole in it, let's tie a rope to this guy, and let's lower him down right in front of Mike. Guys, I gotta tell you something, some of you out there wouldn't know what, you'd think it was pinata time, right? Uh, You'd say, I don't know what's going on with this thing. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus isn't shocked. Jesus doesn't condemn them. He doesn't complain. Look at the mess you're making. What Jesus does is he looks at them and he says, you know what? I like these guys. These guys like me. They say when it comes to dispersion of hope is I like people who aren't just interested in conventional solutions. I like people who are interested in unconventional solutions as well friends i got to tell you something is about a year ago or so when i first heard of uh, of the idea of merging Scottsdale Bible Church and Northridge Community Church my first response is well why would we want to do that We've got a, a great, wonderful, healthy church here called Scottsdale Bible Church at Shea and Miller. We've got a great, wonderful, healthy church called Northridge Community Church on uh, uh, 64th Street and Dynamite. Is, is man, is, that's not what happens. You know, mergers normally happen, don't they, when you've got someone who's sick and they marry a healthy person or two sick people? Is, you don't normally marry two healthy organizations. And yet God's word comes along and reminds us that, man, God loves it when two come together. Ecclesiastes 4 said, two are better than one because they have a better return for their labor. And as we began going down this road, we came to see, listen, is if we are really going to do what God calls us to do, which is to win our world for Christ— which is to bring more and more people to the real remedy, which is Jesus, is we cannot help but deny the fact that we think we can do this better together than we can apart. Is it unconventional? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. Is it weird? Yes. But you know what? Jesus says, I like those guys who are both conventional and unconventional when it comes to seeking solutions. You know, there's a third thing. I want you to write this third one. I love this third one. If you want to be a hope dealer, number three, hope dealers accentuate the spiritual dimension. They accentuate the spiritual dimension. You know, inside your your worship floor, when I'm talking about this outline today, is you'll notice every week when, when Pastor Jamie or one of our other pastors speaks here, is there are blanks to fill in. And and what they're saying with those blanks is they're saying, hey, there are certain things that we wanna emphasize over other things. There are certain things we wanna highlight, certain things we wanna make a priority. Now, it doesn't say that all the other things we talk about are not important, they are important. But there's some things that are more important than other things, and you accentuate those things that are more important, those things that are most important. And one of the things we see is that when, when this man is brought to Jesus, this paralyzed man, he thinks the most important thing in his life is his physical condition. But Jesus looks at him and says, listen, your physical condition is matter. It Im- matters. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is your spiritual condition. Look at uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your legs are healed. No. He didn't say, son, he didn't say first of all, son, physically, you're 100%. He, he first of all looked at him and said, Sons, son, your sins are forgiven. Friends, when when suffering raises its head, physical suffering raises its head, there are four ways we try to explain it. And frankly, sometimes all of these have kernels of truth to them, but let's look at the four ways we try to explain uh, when when physical suffering takes place. First of all, we try to explain physical suffering as the random result of physical or psychological factors. You know, maybe you got uh, bit by a mosquito, and then later on you develop West Nile. It's a terrible, terrible sickness. But the reality is is you didn't get that sickness because you did something terrible or someone else did something terrible. It was a random result of a physical factor. Second way we explain suffering is this. It is the result of something sinful that you've done. You know, the reality is if, if, if you go to work and you're a jerk and you mistreat everybody at work and you end up getting fired, you can't come away and say, man, you know, why is God doing this to me? Guys, it's a, it's, you. it's a sin that you've done. Sometimes some of our suffering is because is the result of sinful things that we've done. There's a consequence of our personal sin. Third explanation is this. Some suffering is the result of something sinful that someone else has done. Maybe you've heard stories in the news about, about uh, someone who was a drunk driver driving down I-17 the wrong way and running into someone. And, and, and the person was severely injured that they ran into. Well, the reality is they're not suffering because of something they did. They're suffering because of something someone else did. But there's a final explanation, and that's this, that some suffering is the result of something big that's going on beneath the surface. We don't know if this man's uh, paralysis was related in any way to some sin in his life. It may or may not been. Obviously, it it was related to the fall, which Jamie will be talking about in a couple of weeks, But there's some certain sins that may be a direct connection, we don't know that. But what we do know is that behind even physical sickness is a spiritual component. If Satan doesn't cause it, he will exploit a physical illness. Let me uh, read to you John chapter nine, verses two and three. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they see a man who's, who's blind, and it says this, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We see another example in the book of Job, Job 1 and 2. Job has all these terrible things happen to him, and yet he's called righteous Job. And, and his friends all come and say, well, Job, surely you must have done something wrong. Or, or surely it might have been your kids, somebody did something wrong, or you wouldn't be suffering. And, but what we see in Job 1 and 2 is, no, there was something big going on behind the scenes that was, had the opportunity to bring glory to God and to mature Job in a powerful way. You know, as you encounter a physical need or meet a physical need, I would encourage you to dig deeper into the spiritual dimension. When I think of this, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a friend of mine by the name of John. John came into my life about 12 years ago, and uh, he appeared at, uh, at our campus up in Northridge uh, about 12 years ago, and I got to know him, and after church one day, I said, Hey, John, how'd you find out about, about our church? And he said, hey, I, I want to invite you and Mary over to our house. So we went over to his house for dinner and, and, and here's what we found out about John is John was a very, very, it wasn't a very gifted uh, surgeon uh, and, and doctor here in, in the Phoenix area for many years. He taught at the University of Arizona Medical School and he was head of women's health at one of our major hospitals here. And, and John said what it brought him to Northridge Church at that particular time was that he had recently received a very serious diagnosis of advanced and aggressive throat cancer and it rocked him. And so he called his friend, who he went to medical school with at MD Anderson in Houston, and and he says, listen, this is my diagnosis. What advice do you have for me? And the friend talked to him about her certain medical uh, possibilities and certain protocols that are showing promise, and here's this and here's that. And at the end of the conversation, his friend, a fellow doctor, not a pastor, his friend said to him, John, I have one more question for you. Do you have a faith community? Do you have a spiritual community? Do you have a church? Because what you got is a really big deal and you're gonna need some spiritual uh, input and some spiritual people in your life. Do you have that? And John had to answer, I don't. And so John came home, he, he talked to his wife Pam and Pam didn't know it. So Pam asked the woman who was her manicurist, hey, do you know of a church anywhere around it? And the woman says, yeah, you know, the church I go to is called Northridge Community Church and they know a thing or two about hope over there. And so what happened is John and Pam came. They continued to come and be a part, a vibrant part that became dear friends of ours. And three years ago when John retired and he moved to Colorado, John invited me to come and and to say a few words and to speak at his retirement party down at the Biltmore. And it was uh, full of of over 100 doctors and and their spouses who had all been his residents when he went through residency. And John asked me to say a few words and I had the opportunity to talk to 100 of these very bright, very gifted people. And I had the opportunity to tell them, first of all, about my good friend, the good physician named John. But you know what else? I had the opportunity to talk to him about the great physician named Jesus. And the reason that happened was, there was a doctor down in Houston who had the courage to not just look at John as a physical being who had a physical problem. He looked at John as a spiritual being who was having a physical problem as well as a spiritual problem. And today, John and Pam are growing in their faith and leaning on the Lord, even in the middle of, of a continuing battle with cancer. Guys, one of the things God wants you to know is this. You're going to be a hope dealer, then here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to accentuate the spiritual dimension. Here's the fourth thing, and we're going to touch on this quickly. Number four is this. You must retain focus when facing opposition. You want to be a a, a spiritual uh, person. You want to be a, a godly guy, a godly girl. You want to be a person who deals hope, then you're going to have to retain focus when facing opposition, you know, one of my favorite movies uh, came out in 1994. That was the year Northridge uh, was planted by Scottsdale Bible Church. And in 1994, one of the biggest movies in, in the nation at that time was a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. And The Shawshank Redemption is a, a fascinating movie. Uh, it features two prisoners who became very good friends. One's name was Andy, Tim, played by Tim Robinson, one's name was Red, played by uh, Morgan Freeman. And as they become friends in prison, one of the things that comes out is that Andy is falsely in prison. He's been given a life sentence for murdering his wife, but he didn't do it. But what Andy decides to do is he decides that rather than let the prison change me, I'm gonna change the prison. And so he starts loving and, and befriending and showing kindness to not only the prisoners, but the prison guards. And, and as a result of it, his previous career as a banker, he starts giving them financial tax advice. He moves up in the system, ends up becoming the trusted uh, bookkeeper for the warden of the prison. Well, one day, Andy's working in the warden's office doing the books. The warden walks out of his office, leaves Andy alone in his office, and something pops into Andy's mind. Andy looks over, and he notices there's an intercom there that broadcasts to the whole prison, and he notices there's a record player there. What he does, he gets up, he goes over and locks the the warden's door, and he goes over and puts a record on the record player, and it's a beautiful opera. It's called The Marriage of Figaro. And then he takes the microphone over to it, and he broadcasts this to the whole prison. And the next minute or so of the movie shows all the prisoners, and they stop what they're doing. They close their eyes. Some of them start to tear up. Well, the warden doesn't like it. They break down the door. They come in. Andy loses his position of privilege and gets thrown in solitary confinement for two weeks. There's a wonderful scene in the movie where Andy comes out of solitary confinement. He's meeting his friends, his fellow inmates. And Morgan Freeman looks at him and says, Andy, why did you do such a stupid thing? And Andy's response is this, I just figured people could use a little hope in a place like this. Well, his friend, uh, Red, looks back at him. Morgan Freeman looks back at him and, and says, Andy, I want to tell you something, friend. A little hope is a dangerous thing in a place like this. It can get a man killed. There's going to be people who oppose hope. And Andy responds later in the movie, and he says this. He says, you know what I figure I figure that hope's a good thing, maybe the best of things. And then he says this, and a good thing, I figure, will never die. Friends, the beautiful thing about that scene is this, It's a scene that reminds us that we must must retain focus when we face opposition. That's difficult to do. When we don't have any opposition, it's easy to go ahead and talk hope. But when we do have obstacles and opposition, it becomes a difficult thing. One of the things we see about Jesus is this. As Jesus brings hope to those in despair, the most religious people were the ones that weren't happy with him. Look at Mark 2, verse 6. It says this, Now, some of the scribes, these are the religious guys, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so he's gonna face opposition. Here, he's doing something good. He's bringing hope. But listen now. Jesus responds. Mark 2, verses 8 through 11. It says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to, to, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What Jesus is going to do is this. He's going to retain his focus even in the middle of opposition. People start giving him grief about passing out hope. He says, I don't care. I'm going to continue to pass out hope. One last thing I want you to write down. It's the S in your bears outline out there. Last thing is this. Hope dealers number five do this. is They share their story of God's glory. God has given each one of us a story. And and for every one of us, he's still writing that story. But you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to be able to recall that story, to write that story, and then to be able to share it with other people. I want you to listen to what happens to our guy right here. Is What our guys here going to do, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 11, he's going to get healed from his paralysis. He's going to have this encounter with Jesus. And we expect then the next words to be, and he lived happily ever after. But that's not how it ends. Listen to how it ends, verse 11. It says this, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed, and get this part, and he went out before them all. He didn't sneak out the back door. He went out before them all. He was sharing his story of healing, of restoration, of redemption. He went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God. What he's doing is this. He says, I'm going to share my story for God's glory. In Acts chapter three, verse eight, we see something very similar. Uh, Peter and John go to church to pray and they, they, they meet a man, a paralytic along the way. And, and he says, hey, give me some money. And Peter says, listen, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'm gonna give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the guy gets up and listen to his response, Acts 3, eight. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So guys, how do we, we feel hope in 2019, as we begin this new journey called Better Together. The bigger question is, how do we deal hope in 2019? The answer is this, five things. Number one is this, you wanna go ahead and deal hope, then you gotta bring broken people real remedies. We've got the real remedy, his name's Jesus. But he asks us, are you bringing broken people the real remedy? Second thing is this, we must employ both conventional and unconventional methods. You know, we, we can't just keep doing the same old thing and expecting the same old results. Third thing we have to do is this. We must accentuate the spiritual dimension. we got to stop looking at people as physical beings with physical problems. They're spiritual beings that may have physical problems, but it's going to require not only a physical response, it's going to require a spiritual response as well. So I'm, I'm going to encourage you to be a little more bold in 2019. When your coworker at work tells you about his marriage falling apart, give him the name of a good marriage counselor. Give him a book that, that's helped you. But also say, you know, you need to know something about me. Is, is I believe that this problem has a spiritual component to it. And I want you to know, I'm going to be praying for you. Is there something specific I can pray for you about? Fourth thing we got to do is we got to retain focus when facing opposition. There will be people that won't be thrilled that you're a hopeful person that's passing out hope. And the final thing is this. You must share your story for God's glory. I'm going to close this up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, proceed to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is the ultimate expression of hope. And, uh, but join me right now. And guys, I just want to tell you how excited I am to be part of the Scottsdale Bible Northridge family, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do through us as we become his hope dealers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you teach us. Your word reminds us that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, And God, one of the things we've seen this morning is that hope doesn't just happen. In fact, the natural course of life is that hope leaks out of us as we encounter these long and lingering problems that do not respond to resolution. But Father, today we've learned that there's a better way. That if we lean into Jesus, if we lean on Jesus, we can recognize that he is the real remedy and it takes the pressure off us. It's not our job to restore people. We're not in the restoration business. We're in the transportation business. So Lord, lay upon our heart, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus, that we don't have to fear, that you sent Jesus to earth, he died on the cross, rose again, and calls us to share that good news of hope with the people you put in our path. So Lord, bless us, and thank you so much for his sacrifice and the hope we have as a result of it